Hey everybody, welcome to Geeky Dads Talk About Geeky Things. I'm JJ Johnson, and joining me today on the show is Andrew Swearingen. Andrew, welcome to the show, man. Uh, well, thank you for having me on the show, JJ. I'm real excited. All right, so Andrew pitched this idea to me. I reached out and I said, hey man, you're a geeky dad. Would you like to come on the show? He goes, yeah, I'd love to. And then you said, hey, I got an idea for one. And I ate it up. And we are going to be talking about our top five movies from 1982, exactly 40 years ago. Man, are you ready to get into this? Yeah, I'm I'm excited. I've been like prepping myself for this and like revising my list like on and off at work and stuff like that. You know, while I'm while I'm supposed to be working, I'm mentally like like revising different movies upwards and downwards. And so I'm I'm excited. <laughs> you know, I don't ever, you know, do, go over my podcast and stuff like that at work. I, you know, I don't <laughs> Well, I'm I'm usually on a machine or something while I'm working, and so I've I have a lot of uh, a a lot of uh, downtime to fill, and so you know when I'm when I'm not listening to you know podcasts, including Geeky Dads that uh, talk about geeky things, um, I'm usually I'm usually my mind is filled with some sort of uh, geeky or nerd related content. Well, I'm in the same wheelhouse. I I run a production uh, operation printing facility, and so I have a lot of blue collar guys that work for me. So. I'm not out on the floor or signing invoices or something like that. I have a little bit of downtime and I tend to go over my top five list <laughs> at the desk as well. So, all right, man. So before we get in our top five, uh, do you have any honorable mentions that you want to toss out? Oh my, do I have honorable mentions? Uh, I mean, part of the reason why, this year stood out to me is just because it's such a stacked year in terms of movies that have like legacy that still get talked about today or that like you know sequels or remakes are still made of and 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 there's just so many and like people will people will be mad at some of the movies that are on my honorable mentions because there just was not room uh at uh <laughs> it's funny because we were just talking about about uh you know fan bases and how um you know, excitable they can be sometimes. And if, if anybody has any questions or like complaints or wants to yell at me about it, please feel free to email JJ about that. I'm sure he'll be very happy to take, uh, take that for anything that I left off of my list. So you can um, email us at geeky dads to talk about geeky things at <laughs> gmail.com. <laughs> or you can email us at, uh, Jason C joiner at gmail.com. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll send all complaints to my complaint associate who takes care of those things for me. Excellent, excellent. All right, all right, um, all right. So yeah, I mean, I'll just I'll just rattle off my honorable mentions here, and I will attempt to keep them brief. Although I could probably go on for a while about them. Uh, honorable mentions from this year, 1982, uh, Conan the Barbarian. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger's. It's not his first movie in America. His first movie was. Uh, Hercules in New York but I feel like this is the one that like made him a legitimate like box office presence you know he, he, and it's it's a it's an interesting time capsule too because his English is still not he's still learning how to communicate effectively uh and in you know with you know using you know using English and stuff like that but this movie I mean his pectorals do most of the acting and his pectorals deserve like nominations for you know their their work in this film it was outstanding um <laughs> also on my list secrets of nim uh that's the the animated movie directed by don bluth if you don't know who don bluth is he's the guy who directed 
um, Land Before Time, An American Tale, uh, All Dogs Go to Heaven, Anastasia, um, did these amazing unique kind of dark broody but at the same time hopeful children's movies in the 80s and 90s great director like if we keep if if we do later on lists you know later on the decade a don bluth movie will make my top five at some point um also in there an officer and a gentleman just a classic you know rom-com you've got richard gear you've got lou gossett jr um <laughs> you know this movie gets parodied all the time because it's such a cultural mainstay um and the last of my honorable mentions, and I am genuinely heartbroken, I had to leave this off my list because it is quintessential 80s poltergeist. Like this is <laughs> this is how how tough my list is because I had to leave this movie off of there because it's 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 Spielberg produced and partially directed, depending on who you ask. <laughs> um, just a, a, a it's a fun it's a fun horror movie if there's such a thing because it's as much about the family dynamic and them holding together and what they'll do to protect each other as it is about the jump scares and stuff like that. Um, and also part of the reason why we have PG 13 as a rating is because of this movie. So just an absolute mainstay. I'm heartbroken that I'm heartbroken that it's not on my list, but um, I, I, I had to give it a very loud honorable mention. So what about you, man? What's your, what's your honorables well, mention? Yeah, I didn't really toss out an honorable mentions, but I do want to talk about a couple that you had on there because I sure. put Poltergeist on my list. It got bumped for two other horror movies. I am, a <laughs> I love horror. I'm a big jump scare guy. I love weird. I love strange. Poltergeist is one of those films that stands the test of time I think the PG-13 ratings started coming out shortly after that. Um, I can't remember. I think it was Red Dawn, like a year later, something like that. But anyway, this movie just, it may it frightened kids. Because, I mean, it frightened me as a kid. And the whole tree eating the kid, the, <laughs> the swimming pool scene, and mm -hmm. the, the creepy-looking clown doll. I could never have a clown doll in my bedroom after watching this film. That's how much it creeped me out. So um, as far as Secret of the Nim is concerned, I, I agree. I actually saw the animated movie before I ever read the book. I know there's people that uh, prefer the book over the movie. Um, for me, it's no big deal because I, I saw the movie first and I, I, you know, I absolutely loved it. I think it's, I think it's an iconic film and I'm going to agree with you about Conan the Barbarian, man. I mean, his pectoral muscles. <laughs> this is this classic Arnold Schwarzenegger right here. You know, the governor just doing it all there on that, on, uh, in that part. So I think that's a great list, man. And some of those almost made my list as well, but this is a stacked year. So let's get in our top five. So what do you have? At number five. So my number five is uh, The Dark Crystal. Uh, Jim Henson and Frank Oz directed film. Uh, I am I am a huge fan of Jim Henson and his just his whole like way of making film and TV shows. Um, and just anytime he got to play in the in the quote unquote the real world and stuff like that. Like, you know, he he obviously was greatly passionate about the Muppets. Um, as, as, and rightfully so they're like like talking about some that stands the test of time like i've gone back and watched that on, on on disney plus recently and it's like those episodes really hold up but he also wanted to push um sort of this this medium of using puppets to tell stories and 
sorry, excuse me. The, the sparkling water I'm drinking right now was not settling the best there. I apologize. <laughs> we need to we need to back up and cut that or something. Uh, yeah, we'll just keep going, man. Okay, awesome, awesome. Um, but where was I going with? Oh, um, but he always wanted to push the medium of what you can do with the sort of puppeteering and stuff like that. And that's how you end up with movies like Labyrinth. Um, that's how you end up with, with uh, Yoda and Empire Strikes Back. George Lucas actually originally approached Jim Henson about helping with that. Um, he wasn't able to at the time, but he connected George Lucas with Frank Oz. And I mean, the rest is history. Uh, and even the live action Ninja Turtle movies from uh, from the 90s, those are Jim Henson creations, those costumes, those masks and stuff like that. But never does this sort of I, I, I hate that I, I hate using the term real world in this context, but I it just to delineate it from the Muppets, never does that get better featured than in the Dark Crystal, where literally the entire movie is is brought to life through the Jim Henson creature shop. Uh, the, you know, the, the different and the different creatures you have in the forest, the the main characters, the Gelflings, the Skeksis, the mystics, the, the little podling people like all of that is brought to life through that. There is no human being that is seen on screen at any point in this movie. Um, and and it's and it like it holds up like I mean, that's I think that's gonna be a thing we hit on a lot just with this is just movies that hold up the technology holds up. Um, and I, I have a soft spot in my heart for like unique one-of-a-kind movies where it's like someone tried something really ambitious and this is a truly one-of-a-kind movie where it's like no i don't i can't think of anything else that does this on on this level yeah this is a uh, one of those it's like you know like labyrinth i i remember it as a kid i have not seen it in years i really really need to go back and watch it yeah. uh, i think i tried to show my kids labyrinth and they just stared at it like <laughs> dad what is this <laughs> i did the same thing with never ending story and i think they fell asleep and i'm like geeking out about it but yeah. you know for us that grew up in this era these type of films i mean these were iconic and iconic to our childhoods in, in so many different ways and i really need to go back and rewatch this um but yeah i think i agree this is a good this is solid number five man so yeah yeah awesome awesome what's your five all right. Well, mine's going to be a little controversial. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go with a, with a classic horror film here. Um, and I moved this one up and down on my list. I had it at four for a while, and I was like, okay, I'm going to move it up. <sighs> and that is Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. This film is so beautifully bad. <laughs> But in a good way, right? This is one of those films that, that shows you a great film does not have to be good. And, you know, I love Tommy Lee Wallace as a director because, and, and Tommy Lee Wallace later did the TV adaptation of Stephen King's It with Tim Curry playing Pennywise. That's, I, prefer, I like that one because that's the one I grew up with. I love the new It that came out, but I'm partial to the original because that's what I grew up with. But I, to me, this film is one of those films that it, it didn't do well at the box office. You know, when John Carpenter did Halloween 1 and 2, that was supposed to be it for Michael Myers. He was mm -hmm. not supposed to come back. And John kind of had this idea that Halloween was going to be almost like a Twilight Zone. Like, it was going to be an anthology. And I think, I think there was a lot of bad marketing that went into this film because 
first of all, you had one and two, so you already had this expectation of this idea that Michael Myers was going to be in it. And then you call it Halloween 3. What they should have done is probably just said Halloween Season of the Witch and, and been done with it. But people actually went to the film expecting Michael Myers to be there, or they saw the trailer and realized Michael Myers isn't. But it literally bombed at the box office. I mean, it was one of those that Harley did, did not do well. Critics hated it. Fans hated it because Michael Myers wasn't in there. But here's the deal. It developed this cult following because right at this period was where home video release was really starting to come into its prime. And it was part, starting to become really mainstream. And then cable television was taken off and this movie would air on cable television because there's a different segment of the population out there that just like weird, strange movies. <laughs> I am one of those. <laughs> I do not care how bad a plot is. I love weird. That's the reason I am a big Stephen King fan. That's the reason I can stomach the Dark Tower when other people are looking at it like, what is going on here? And I was, I'm like, that's the beautiful part of it. And this had <laughs> a strange plot. I will admit that because it's more of like, you know, supernatural science fiction in a way. They steal a piece of stone inch and then this, this mask company embeds fragments of stone inch that have, have been like with this dark magic into these chips and these chips go into the mask and there's this jingle playing on the television, counting down to Halloween. When it gets to Halloween, all of a sudden these chips are going to activate and it's going to kill everybody wearing a mask. And then out of these people are going to come like snakes and spiders. <laughs> it is so beautifully bad that I love it because of how weird it is. Uh, JJ, I, I have to make a confession. I, I have not seen this movie um, although, although I feel like I've seen it per your description, it sounds amazing. Um, but like, but I've heard about the, uh, like I've, I've heard of it and I know that it's, you know, controversial for not having Michael Myers in the attempt to make it, make the Halloween movies more of an anthology and stuff like that. And I, you know, it's like, it'd be curious to see like if they could have tried to do they're, they're, like that, this, that's an idea that almost might work better now than it did at the time. Uh, it would be interesting to see how that would go. But yeah, this movie sounds absolutely bonkers. It sounds like the exact sort of thing that, yeah, you would find at like an independent video store on, on VHS and be like, huh, what's this? And give it a try. And, and then have your world rocked by the sheer weirdness of it. I love it. Well, I'm a guy that likes Sharknado. <laughs> and clowns from outer space. So but I mean, this is an 80s nostalgia. I mean, the beginning is 80s. Everything about this movie is 80s nostalgia. This was 80s type, you know, filmmaking back then. So I got to go with it. Halloween 3, <laughs> Season of the Witch. Awesome. Awesome. Um, yeah. So sh should I jump in with, with my number four right now? Uh, number four, man. Okay. Okay. Uh, this is maybe, again, this is maybe one that Jason Joyner is going to get some emails about because 
it's a quintessential 80s sci-fi movie and i'm listing it as as number some people might get mad because it's you know it's too low on this list and i just again it's a heck of a year 1982 my fourth is blade runner um and and to be clear i'm i'm in general i'll be talking about the the director's cut i know there's like four director's cuts out there i don't know which one is considered like you know the <laughs> director's cut it's there's one out there it's like you know the definitive version or something like that i don't remember which one it is um but yeah blade runner absolutely sensational movie um i've it's one that like i've i've seen it like a, maybe four or five times over my lifetime and every time i take something different away from it like i remember renting it with my dad and and we, i know we i know we saw the theatrical cut there because it had the lifeless voiceover narration that the studio made harrison ford do uh, because they were worried that people wouldn't get it and that's kind of what's beautiful about this movie is that it doesn't you know there's there's the plot the plot is harrison ford is tracking down these rogue replicants who are you know running you know running amok across the city and stuff like that but there's so much subtext and there's so much that's like open to interpretation um and like you know the question of like you know who else are replicants and stuff like that and i suppose spoiler alert for a movie that's older than i am uh you know the like depending on which cut you watch it's pretty definitive that harrison ford is also a replicant and doesn't realize it um and it's, it's one of those things like when you get to like the closer you get to what ridley scott wanted this movie to be the more sort of nuanced those details are and it probably wasn't until the fourth or fifth time that i saw this movie that i like that I, I i like i got it and i was like oh his eyes shine just like the other replicants do and it's this it's such a subtle detail that you know you you wouldn't pick up on it you know you certainly wouldn't you know like unless you knew to look for it um and it's just it's uniquely ambitious this movie is because you know the special effects were cutting edge and and again talk about special effects that still hold up like you know it it you know yes you can tell it's from the 80s but it's one of those things where it's like how does this look better than something that marvel put out two years ago and stuff like that um yeah and obviously you get great performances harrison ford is really awesome in this rutger hauer like that speech he gives at the end like i get chills um you know daryl hannah is in this as the, as the the sort of the mime replicant and i mean you've got to mention edward james almost anytime he's in a movie like put some respect on admiral adama's name anytime he pops up in a movie oh absolutely absolutely this is one of those films i rewatched it oh god it had to be i think it was 2014 right after our second son was born mm -hmm. it was one of those late nights you know yeah as child doesn't want to sleep and i think i turned it on it was on netflix or prime or something like that and i rewatched it and it absolutely does it holds up it's a great film it moving into my number four because what i think about about what you just said is it was it was a movie that was ahead of its time and there were a lot of movies like that blade runner i think you know from our childhood that were so far ahead of their time so I think Blade Runner, I think Last Starfighter, and then I also think this one for my number four, it's going to be controversial again, and that is Tron. You know? Ooh, okay. So Tron is one of those where the first couple times I watched it as a kid, I didn't really enjoy it. I thought it was cheesy. I thought it looked stupid, that the effects were bad. I just did not like it. But 
I watched it. Um, I actually had, I was taking like this class at, in college and it was like interpretation and you had to basically watch a film that was on the list and interpret it. Well, they were all like bad films, like films I didn't want to watch. And one of them was on there. It was Tron. I was like, all right, I'll give Tron a shot. And I think that's the first time I really sort of got this plot because what we were looking for within film is I went to a Southern Baptist school. So this was like interpreting, you know, threads of theology that could be found in films mm-hmm. and really had sort of that thread of theology. Now, Flynn, who's played by Bridges, is not a technological Jesus because he doesn't really care about the world there. He doesn't really care about the programmers and the users. He doesn't care about that. Sure, he helps them overcome the things they do. and But when he gets out, all he wants is his money. He gets his money. He gets his, he becomes CEO. He doesn't really learn his lesson. And for me, I think what this shows is it, it, it kind of shows that theme that you get from Frankenstein. This is what happens when man tries to play God in a way. And I think that theme sort of runs through a lot of unique movies. Now, this movie bombed at the box office. It only did $50 million worldwide. They actually considered this a disappointment and a failure. But like Season of the Witch and some other films that are probably on our list, it found its audience uh, through home video release in a way that you know other films before it that bombed couldn't. And I think it when you look back up on it, I think it was one of those films that it was such a great concept and idea. They just didn't have the technology to do the effects the right way that they needed to. And I think, like I said, I think it's a great film. I even like Tron Legacy. A lot of people, Mm -hmm. I enjoyed it, but I'm also a sucker for nostalgia and anything that goes back and looks at nostalgia and tries to recapture it. So, I, I think Tron's a great movie. I think it's a fun movie. I think it's you got to have the right appetite for it when you go to watch it. And you have to understand that it's it's going to be slow in parts. But I've always enjoyed it. I've seen it probably seven to eight times since college. And it's just one of those movies I'll throw on during a boring Saturday night when I got nothing else to do and the kids have gone to bed. And I might just want to watch part of it. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's Tron. Yeah, yeah. And and let me just say too, like I like I I I've seen I've only seen Tron once. I probably need to see it again to like really kind of like what you were talking about. I kind of get that. It 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 is a movie that you kind of have to steep with it a little bit. But I absolutely love Tron Legacy. I saw that before I saw the original Tron. Um, and yeah, like I like. I fell in love with that movie and without even the nostalgia factor, like you were talking about the special effects, not quite being there. And it's like, man, with, with, with Tron legacy, it's like, it's absolutely there. I love that movie. I love the soundtrack. Like just, I'm sorry. As, as a rule, anytime Tron legacy comes up in a conversation, I've got to, you know, spark off on it a little bit. Um, So, okay, cool. Um, Are you, are you, (laughs) have you said your piece on Tron? I don't want to cut you off. I've said my piece on Tron, man. Let's move on. Number three. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So my number three, um, and it, it is, you know, you, you've, it is my first delving into eighties horror is John Carpenter's the thing. Um, oh, yeah. And to, to explain my love of this movie, I need to tell you a story. Uh, the year is 1999. 
I am in a shopco in Keokuk, Iowa. Uh, we are. I'm there with my mom and dad. We're, you know, getting whatever one gets in the '90s at a shopco run, and we're in the checkout aisle. And I see this movie, a VHS copy of the thing, sitting on on like the little, you know, whatever marquee thing or whatever it is you call it. And I I had read a book. I think my brother gave it to me. That was kind of like each chapter was a synopsis of a different classic science fiction film. Like it, it ran the gamut from like star Wars to 2001, a space odyssey to planet of the apes um, to forbidden planet or the day the earth stood still. And one of those chapters was about the thing from another world, the fifties black and white, you know, horror film. And I thought that that was that movie <laughs> that I was asking my mom, Hey, can I get this? Can I get this? Can I get this? Yeah. And presumably my mom, my, my sweet, kind-hearted Baptist mother thought I was getting that movie too. <laughs> and then I watched it and it was at about the dog pen scene, which if you've seen this movie, you know what happens in the dog pen scene that I realized this is, this is, pro I don't think this is the movie. I think it is. <laughs> and it was at that moment that I was like, oh, this is something different. Now I watched the movie multiple times after that and enjoyed it and and you know I, I i my appreciation for it has only grown as i've learned more about like you know just 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 seeing the art of practical effects and how that works and seeing the artfulness of how john carpenter puts his movies together i love the original halloween i have not seen you know the i haven't seen very many of the sequels but the original halloween is a masterpiece and it makes me appreciate a movie like this and seeing you know, like everyone talks about the, the special effects here, which are crazy, which are amazing, which are revolutionary. But the more times I watch it, the more I key in on like the atmospheric stuff, you know, the way that like these guys just start like, you know, Kurt Russell and Keith David and Wilford Bremley, like, like they just start, they're crawl, they're climbing the walls, they're at each other's throats. And there's just this paranoia and like the soundtrack. I don't think this is a John Carpenter soundtrack, but it's if I'm correct, it's done in the style of one that that slow, like, dun, 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 you know, it, like it just it kind of it's it's so simple and yet it's so effective at just making just setting the mood of just this like slow, creeping terror and not knowing who you can trust in that situation. Uh, it's just it's a great movie. Like every time I come back to it, I like appreciate it even even more. You know, one of the things I love about John Carpenter, especially this film in particular, is, you know, when you look back to Alfred Hitchcock, Alfred Hitchcock was able to do so much with so little because of proper camera work and because of proper MacGuffins that he used. Mm -hmm. Pull the story forward. John Carpenter, I think, was the next great suspense filmmaker, in my opinion. And he was able to do that same type of thing with with a tone you and you came when you approached the john carper film it had that that eerie slow tone everybody remembers the very beginning of halloween oh, yeah i mean <laughs> the music and in the same thing here with 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 what he does here with so many other movies like christine and also with you know with the thing it's just there's that tone to it that you know something bad is lurking 
just around the corner and you 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 just like you can't tear your eyes away from the screen because he moves at such a slow pace but it's so suspenseful that pace you're going at that you can't mo- remove your eyes and the thing man I, I i agree it's it's an excellent film and definitely worthy of being on this list now for my number three I have a very similar story, and I'm I'm gonna go back to horror as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm going to go with Friday the Thirteenth Part Three, the typical Jason Voorhees slasher fit. But all right, so I had never seen the um, any of the Friday the Thirteenth, and so oh, really, I, yeah, I was staying at my grandmother's house. I was probably ten years old. And my my sweet Southern Baptist grandmother was in the dining room reading her Bible at the kitchen table. Oh, no. Me and my grandfather were sitting in there, and it was like three nights before Halloween. And this is back when they played, you know, horror movies leading up to, you know, Halloween on network television at times. And we're watching... Friday the 13th, part three. Now, going back to the part first one, you know, J- it was Jason's mother that was a killer in the first one. And in part two, Jason had the iconic, you know, potato sack with only one hole for an eye. And he was wearing like this plaid shirt. It was creepy Jason. But this one is, in my opinion, just incredible 1980s horror because it gave us a significant impact into pulp culture. This is the film that gave us that incredible hockey mask. Mm. This is where it happened at. It was filmed at, you know, the, the Bells at Movie Ranch. And a lot of things were filmed there. Black Sheep, Dante's Peak. Um, I think Westworld's been filmed there a few times. So there's been a lot of great movies. And the barn is still there. You can go and just tore the barn because that barn was used in other movies as well. I don't think the house is there anymore. I think they burned that house down for another movie, but this was an incredible film. It was filmed by Steve Miner who had done Friday the 13th part two. He also did Halloween H2O Lake Placid. And he did, he did a lot of work on the wonder years as a matter of fact. So, but this is the movie that knocked ET out of the number one spot. This thing was huge. It was the first one done in 3D. Um, and I can't remember. I think it did like 250 million worldwide. I mean, it was a very, very popular horror movie. But for me, I just remember the, the barn scene with the axe and the hockey mask. And that is about the point that my grandmother walked in. <laughs> what, what, what did your grandma have to have to say in that moment? She goes, oh. She turned to my grandfather and said, Fred, I still remember today, all right? My grandfather would have been 107, uh, 103 right now. My grandmother would have been 100 years old if she was still alive. He is too young to watch that. He'll never get that image out of his head. And guess what? She is right. Oh. <laughs> that is, a, oh my gosh, that is sensational. I love it. <laughs> there you go. Number three. Halloween yeah. part three. So, or I meant uh, Friday the 13th part three. So, uh, 
All right, um, what do you get for number two? Number two, and this is um, a, a personal favorite of mine, uh, both for um, what it is as a movie, but what it is in terms of the larger scope of just nerddom and what this movie brought out um, and what this movie continued. My number two is Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Um, I could say so much about this. Like I've, I grew up with this movie. Like I love the theme of like the, the movies on that we saw on VHS. Like um, I, I watched this with my cousins um, on, I don't know if you ever saw this. Like you had like the movie, like it was like, like you could watch a movie on your VCR, but then there was also like a recorder where you could record it onto a blank tape. And it wasn't like recording it off of like off of like network when like the Sunday night movie, it was like you would rent the one from Blockbuster or, you know, we, we had Video Vault in my hometown. I think that was an independent chain. Yeah. Um, you'd yeah. rent this. You'd rent this from Video Vault and you could like record it onto another thing. And then like we we had I grew up on that. I actually have that tape in my in my office right now and watch that with my cousins. And it was like the first Star Trek that I like sat down and like took in completely um and and again it's a movie that like i keep coming back to and i'm like oh there's so much more here that you know you don't access when you're a six-year-old um i mean i like i said i could go on for a long time i'm i'm a lifelong trek fan i could talk about nicholas meyer and the way he directs this movie and the way that he actually wasn't a fan of science fiction beforehand he came more from a shakespearean you know traditional theater direction and you see that in the way that he elevates these themes of of revenge and these in these themes of you know sacrifice and these themes of you know as kirk says how we deal with death is just as important as how we deal with life uh, i could talk about the performances that leonard nimoy and william shatner uh bring to this movie um along with the rest of the cast deforest kelly uh, you know jimmy Dewan, um the the now late great nichelle nichols um but the main thing that I keep coming back to with this movie, and this is, I believe this movie saved Star Trek. Um, when you look at where Star Trek was at in this time, you know, the motion picture was a, a, a success, but not an unqualified success. It was way over budget. There was a whole lot of issues along the way. The cast wasn't happy. Gene Roddenberry was like trying to force his will into it. And a lot of studio people were trying to force him out. And there was a lot of ways that the second Star Trek movie could have gone poorly. Like if they couldn't get Leonard Nimoy back or, you know, if Shatner had you know, tried to throw his his weight around with the studio and stuff like that. And the fact that it came out as well as it did, that it that it stays loyal. You know, some people don't think this. I personally think this movie very much stays loyal to the ideals of Star Trek because it's more than just a movie like you deal with power. Like, what do you do with a great power that's meant for good but can be weaponized? You know, what do you do when you have, you know, this 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 person who is seeking revenge and you know ultimately the the great theme of the movie is how do we deal with death ultimately culminating in spock sacrificing himself to save the enterprise uh, this movie is working and because this movie worked because it was a hit um it opened the door up for star trek 3 and then star trek 4 star trek 4 was a hit uh, because it was a crossover thing that like general audiences watched, including, um, you know, not just sci-fi Trek fans. And that opens the door for 
the Star Trek TV revolution that we get in the 90s. And I mean, you know, just just the dominoes keep falling. And, you know, without that, without Wrath of Khan, if you go all the way back 40 years without Wrath of Khan, I mean, Star Trek maybe stops right there. If it's like a dud, if Star Trek 2 is a dud of a movie, you know, maybe they try to come back to it later. But I it's it doesn't look like what it looks like, you know, now as we're getting Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks and you know and even though i'm not as big a fan of picard or, or discovery like we're getting this wonderful star trek revolution and it looks nothing like that without the glory that is the wrath of khan it has been and always shall be one of my favorite movies yeah i think it's one of the best ones out there pivotal moment i think it also is one of the things that helped launch star trek towards the mainstream and allowed the undiscovered or not undiscovered country but the uh Star Trek Four, which was the the first uh, I ever saw in in theaters, actually. Uh, I gotcha. One where they go back in time with the yeah one yeah Vo- the voyage oh, home voyage home yeah drawing a blank. So that was the first one I saw in theaters. My dad would come home from work, we'd eat at the table, and we would have Star Trek the original series on. Mm. At that time, it was on Syndicate, and it was on uh, like Fox at night. We'd eat, we'd watch Star Trek at the t- at the, t- at the table on TV. Um, so Star Trek had a very big impact on me as a child. Um, my dad was a huge Star Trek fan. I was a bigger Star Wars fan at the time because, you know, you had all the action figures and stuff, but Star Trek, absolutely. I remember we rented Star Trek one, the motion picture, and then Star Trek two, the Wrath of Khan, and then with the, you know, Star Trek three, before we went to the theater to watch the new one. And I watched those with my dad. He wanted to make sure I knew what was going on. He was geeking out about it. We had the old VCR. We did the mm. same. We would dub tapes onto another VCR. <laughs> We'd look out the window, make sure the FBI wasn't watching that. <laughs> you know, that yeah. was his 80s childhood. So definitely, I get it. I mean, the Rathcon, phenomenal movie. Absolutely. All right, so my number two is an iconic film, and there's a reason that this is an iconic film for me. All right, this is a personal film for me, and that is Rocky Three. This was written, written and directed by Stallone himself. As uh, I know, Rocky One was written and directed by Stallone. I can't remember if Rocky Two was, but I always felt like Rocky One and Two was the same story. Rocky Three to me was the first true sequel. Now this is the one where we get the iconic Eye of the Tiger. All right, this had everything '80s going for it. I mean, Mr. T playing Clubber Lang is a perfect villain and i felt like he had an incredible incredible performance in this carl was weathers coming back and playing creed, mm-hmm. Apollo creed to train rocky after he lost the title after mickey's death this is a this is a film where rocky the character has kind of allowed the success to go to his head and he realizes i'm not who i need to be without the guy that got me here. It's like that moment, we hear, we see these types of things happen in the hero's journey all the time. Whether it's, you know, you know Harry losing Dumbledore. Whether it's Luke losing Obi-Wan. Whether it's, you know, Frodo no longer has, you know, anybody with him at all. I mean, it's just, it's the death of that mentor at that, at that point. And, you know, what does he do? And he's, he's beaten down. But... This, I mean, this film was huge, huge film. I mean, it was only a $17 million 
dollar budget and it made over 270 million worldwide and it was a national national uh type of performance people love this film but there's another reason that i love this film and that is because in the 80s and in the 90s i was a massive professional wrestling fan <laughs> yep this film and people do not realize this this film is a watershed moment for professional wrestling because Hulk Hogan was working for Vince McMahon Sr. And wrestling back then was territorial. You had the New York Territory, which was the WWE. You had the Mid-South Territory. You had the Georgia Territory. You had the Carolinas Territory. You had the AWA and the NWA. You had all these territories. And the rule was you didn't cross over into anybody's territory. So Hogan gets this call from Sylvester Sloan and says, hey, do you want to come out and be in this film at the beginning? And it was a lot of money. And he, Vince McMahon Sr. said, if you go, you're fired because a wrestler is supposed to be a wrestler. He's not supposed to be a Hollywood movie star. Hogan goes, does the film, makes a lot of money on the film, but he's been fired by WWE. So he goes back to work for, I think it is the AWA up in the Minnesota area. And he's starting to become pretty popular. People are actually coming to pro wrestling matches to see him because of the fact that he appeared as Thunderlips in this film he actually put a couple guys in the hospital because he didn't really know how to act and you know Sylvester Sloan has actually gone on record and says yeah he actually hurt me <laughs> you know because <laughs> he was wrestling and not acting so he was treating us like you would a wrestler we didn't know how that you do any of those things and so two or three guys actually ended up going to the hospital because of this but Vince McMahon Jr., who we know as Vince McMahon today, whether you love him, whether you hate him, the guy is like a cross between B.T. Barnum and, you know, Donald Trump. He is a weird entrepreneur guy, all right? You either hate him or you love him. But he had this vision to take it into a national company and into a world company, and he needed a national star to do that. So he went and got Hulk Hogan. And Hulk Hogan had national recognition at this time. Without Rocky III, I don't think WWE becomes a national brand. I don't think they could have done it. But all of a sudden, now you have this huge, 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 huge wrestler that appeared in this iconic film that made a lot of money worldwide. And all of a sudden, professional wrestling explodes and becomes one of the biggest things in sports entertainment. And... I don't think that you have that without Rocky three. I think Rocky three was such an important iconic moment for professional wrestling, just like it was for Sylvester Sloan, because it was one of those films where he kind of proved that, you know, I can still do this. Now he was, he had made a great movie with Rocky one, a great movie with Rocky two, another great movie that came out in 1982 that I'm going to talk about here as my number one here in a minute. But this one, I felt like was just extremely iconic. I got to go with Rocky Three just because of, you know, what it means for professional wrestling. And as a kid, waking up on Saturday morning, watching professional wrestling, watching it during the, the Attitude Era, during the 90s, I was a big professional wrestling fan. And you don't get it without Rocky Three. That's that's awesome. I did not know the the backstory about that. I knew about the, the territorial era of wrestling i didn't know that there was 
I didn't know like where this movie and you know because when I saw it like you know it's 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 Hulk Hogan you know I saw it in the nineties yeah uh, and it's just like oh cool they got Hulk Hogan for this I didn't realize the backstory with that and you know all of the you know how that played into the larger things and man I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna have to stop myself because I could go on Rocky for a long time talking you know this like these are the movies it's a special place for like me and my brother we watch those and my my brother and I there's a big age gap. And this was one of the things that we could like, we connected on. Like once I started watching Rocky movies with him, it was, it, 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 there, there is something special about it. And like when he would drive us to school, we would listen to the Rocky soundtrack. So we'd be there like rocking out to like eye of the tiger or like, you know, James Brown living in America. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. Rocky, Rocky three, great, great movie. Um, well-deserving of the list. All right. What do you guys, your number one, man number one man I, I, this so when i when i come back to 1982 like this is this movie is the reason that i that i that i kind of come back to this year this was the reason why i realized it was 40 years um you know my list has kind of fluctuated some up and down you know kind of my my three through seven have kind of floated a little bit i've kind of shifted it around this has remained at number one from the very start steven spielberg's masterpiece et um i can't say enough about this movie it is peak spielberg um you know if jaws was the movie that made him a you know a star i feel like this is the movie that made it where spielberg could do anything he wanted after this um you know he had success with a lot of other movies but there's like an extra level of sort of breakthrough that happens um it's just it's such a sensational movie and i i keep expecting you know like with a lot of movies we've talked about on our list i keep expecting to come um sorry one sec sorry sparkling eyes um <laughs> i keep expecting to come back to this movie and to find that some of the magic has dimmed and I like I rewatched it this last weekend, kind of in, in preparation for the podcast. And man, I it, it, like if anything, like every time I see it, I find something new. That's the, to me, that's one of the hallmarks of a great, great movie is if you can watch it multiple times over your lifetime and you find something new every time you watch it. But also there is something in it that speaks to you in a different way every time you come back to see it. Um, you know, I, I, you know, and again, like with all these movies, like I could talk about the special effects. I keep expecting E.T. to look like a rubber puppet at some point. And there's like one or two scenes where you can maybe see at a distance. It's like, oh, this is this is not the puppet puppet. But like, man, I just noticed all of the little like effects and like the little membranes that kind of pulse and stuff like that. And the little emotions and stuff like that. And this is in the theatrical cut, like not the not the uh the the you know not the one that got george lucas up a little bit um like this was the version as it showed in in 1982 and it like et just he continues to look better this is such an amazing puppet that they use for this movie and the way that they get the kids to perform along with it uh it's just like i forget that i'm i forget by like halfway through the movie that i'm watching a puppet it's just like it's et it's et um this movie does so much so well like it combines like again the basic plot line is that of like a kid's adventure film you know a, you know a kid finds an alien in his backyard and takes him into his home that's the plot line but this movie has like family drama with like how this family is holding together during the separation from their parents uh it has some really 
like genuinely scary horror moments like the home invasion scene with the astronauts um the the cornfield scene when elliot first runs into et and he makes that awful sound that like it literally makes my skin crawl to this day i don't know what they use to get that scream that et does but it's horrifying but it works and there's great comedy in this movie like it's it's doing so many things so well um and i just i, I can't i like i said i'm gonna keep coming back to the fact that like you know when i was a kid and i watched this it's like you're watching it through Elliot's eyes and you're seeing, you know, the, the perspective of a child and then a little bit more like, you know, maybe high school, you maybe identify some with like Michael, the older brother who loves his little bro, but wants to look out for him. Um, but this time I realized this is the first time I've seen this movie since I became a dad. Um, and I actually did a little bit of IMD being, and I'm actually older now than D Wallace was when she played Elliot's mom in the movie. And so I'm seeing this now with like the eyes of a grown up, the eyes of a parent, the eyes of a dad. And it, it hits differently. It hits differently seeing her want to protect her kids in the midst of all this chaos that starts happening, you know, around the last third of the movie and how, you know, how violating it would have to feel to have people in your home, like invading your home. Um, and even the character of Keys, the, I, I think that's, I've always just called him that, the, the, the federal agent, Peter Coyote. Um, like this whole time he's set up as like this government boogeyman and you never get a clear shot of his face and he's always in shadow and he's always looking like ominous and stuff like that. And then you get to the scene where he, you know, he suits up in his, you know, his bio suit or whatever and goes in and Elliot and E.T. are on their hospital beds. And he goes to talk to Elliot and it's the first time you see his face and you see just this, this emotion in his eyes. And he's telling Elliot, like what happened here is a miracle. It's a miracle I've been waiting for since I was 10 years old. And I'm, I'm so glad Elliot that he met you first. And there's so much going on in that scene that just, that, that the, the sort of, as an older person who has at times lost a little bit of hope in my life, you know, had dreams and lost those dreams. And it's like, I kind of figure out that like, it's, it's so amazing to see in that moment. It's like, he is, he is seeing himself in Elliot in that moment. And, and he's, and Elliot is literally reflected in his, in his faceplate. And it's such a, just, it's such a cool moment. And it's, it's nothing I, it's, I never would have picked up on that, you know, watching it when I was six years old, there's, there's so many layers to this movie that I can keep watching it and keep finding new things. And, you know, my, my son is two now he's way too young to watch this movie. Um, but I can't wait till my son is old enough that I can sit down with him and watch this movie and see, you know, experience that with him and what, a, you know, what it is I'm going to feel at that point with it. So man, yeah. Anytime, you know, any, anytime I want to come back to this, I grab myself a big bowl of Reese's pieces and, you know, sit down and just enjoy the the wave of goodness that is E.T. Amazing movie. Yeah, I absolutely love E.T. And a lot of you said right there. I think Keys was part of the inspiration. I think this entire film uh, was part inspiration for Stranger Things in some ways. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So much nostalgia. I think Keys, uh, why he's a better character and a more sympathetic character than Papa is, I think he was a direct inspiration. I think a lot of the government officials 
just the mysteriousness. This movie had so much nostalgia. When you want to know what the 80s was like, you go watch this film. This is what 80s was like. And it, this, it, it captures the moment. It's such an iconic film. I absolutely loved it. All right, so I'm going to get through mine pretty quick because we're starting to run out of time here. But my number one, and I'm just going to say, God didn't make Rambo. I did. One of my all-time favorite movie quotes, and that is from First Blood, Rambo. This movie was not actually Sylvester Stallone's biggest movie that year. It was actually Rocky III, but, I mean, this movie still did about $125 million at the box office. And, you know, it's based off of the book. The book and the movie are a little different. In the book, I believe, Rambo dies. They actually filmed two alternate endings, an alternate ending of this, one where Colonel Troutman actually shoots Rambo the, at the end. But this is one of those that's kind of like Rocky One. It's sort of a serious role uh, for Sylvester Stallone. And you get this broken vet who's just trying to make it in life. You get this jerk of a cop who just wants nothing to do with him. The, the fight scene in the police station is so realistic. And just for a guy that can do things like that, I mean, this was, this was just straight up a good film, in my opinion. An interesting story. Um, Richard Crennan was actually not going to play <laughs> uh, Colonel Troutman. And I think this ended up being one of his best roles that he ever had in his life. He was actually the third option. The first option was actually Kirk Douglas. Have you heard this story? I haven't, no. Okay, so Kirk Douglas was in for the role of Colonel you know, Troutman. And <laughs> he was going back and forth and having a lot of say on the script. And they kept rejecting his ideas. He ended up quitting because he pitched an idea. He wanted, at the end of the film, for Colonel Troutman to shoot Rambo and, ki and, and kill him. And then all of a sudden, you'll see this cop car going in the distance, in the fog, and then the camera pans up to the rearview mirror, and it's Colonel Troutman wearing Rambo's bandana. So they all looked at him and they said, no. <laughs> so Kirk Douglas actually quit the film because they would not shoot that ending. They had actually worked up posters and everything for him. So they go and get Rock Hudson, which I'm so glad. <laughs> Look, I like Rock Hudson. I think he is a phenomenal. I think he had some great films with Doris Day back in the day. I think he's a terrific actor, but he was not the right guy for this part. Yeah, no, 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 no. He, he ends up having a, a heart attack and he can't do the role. And that's when they went and got Richard Crennan, which I think actually ended up being one of the best roles that he ever had. Uh, Rambo, there's just something about this movie, about, you know, appreciation for those who have suffered those who are dealing with the effects of war, the effects of PTSD, the importance of, you know, addressing those type of issues and, and caring for people and, and trying to understand people at the same time. And I think this was just, for me, it was an iconic film. Yes, Rambo 2 was a phenomenal type movie, but it was a different type of movie. This one was about, you know, those guys and the guy that wrote the book, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but the guy that wrote the book was actually a professor at college and he was seeing 
the effects of some of his students as they came back from war, as they came back from Nam, and it was breaking his heart. And that's how he ended up writing the story. This is just such an iconic film, in my opinion. I love it. It, it, it. I've seen it multiple times. It's one of those films I think stands the test of time as just being a good film about a guy just trying to survive. And at times, I think that's what we all are doing. So, yeah. all right, man. I was just going to say that like, and I'll, I'll keep it brief because I know we're bumping up against the clock here, but I, I had no idea how straight, how, how pared down the first, how pared down first blood was like, cause you always hear about the Rambo movies, basically like first blood part two, like that's kind of the, the prototype that you hear about it. But like when I actually sat down and watched it and it's like, Stallone is just this quiet guy who just he's he's dealing with his thoughts he's dealing with with his with his you know his warrior's heart his warrior wounds and he's just he's trying to figure out his way it's it's such a simpler movie it's such a heartbreaking movie to like see the pain in his eyes and and yeah like it's 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 haunting and and especially you know so yeah I was just gonna say like it it's it needs to be talked about more that, you know, obviously the more actiony gunny shoot 'em up y type of movies get the more attention with that. But no, first blood is an amazing movie. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I think you were going to have to have you back on and we're probably just going to have to do a 1983 and 19, <laughs> 1985, 86 and on up because there are so many incredible eighties movies. And I don't think that a lot of people, know about them and i think that's sad man <laughs> yeah yeah no ab absolutely like we, whenever you know whenever you want we can we can set a time up and i'll gladly you know talk through I mean, yeah there's I mean, like i mean legitimately like I, I did a cursory glance at it like we could i mean we could get all the way through the 80s and have lists of this quality or better like throughout the rest of the decade it's an amazing f film decade it's my favorite like era of movie making and I mean, like I said at the beginning, like these movies keep getting remade and sequeled and stuff like that. And while I don't love that they're kind of being cashed in on, it's like they're cashed in on because they're all so they're they are. It's such a successful era because it's such a quality era. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, this has been Andrew and JJ. This has been Geeky Ads. Talk about geeky things. That's a wrap.